Welcome to the Signal to Noise podcast. I'm Kyle Chernside, and I'm joined by my always stocking-capped co-host. <laughs> he just got back from IHOP. Free pancake day. Almost didn't make it. Michael Lawrence. Oh, man, I got so confused. It was There was a lot of anxiety. On one hand, you got the breakfast. You know, free breakfast is really hard to turn down, and my, my rational... Brain just shut off. So here we are, man. Uh, how how you doing, man? Hanging out. It's a uh, it's it's podcast week. It feels like um, got some great guests. Got some other ones coming up as well. So we might hit a little bit more frequency coming up. Um, I know we got a couple in the pipe that are probably going to be uh, bangers, as the kids would say. Lit. Is that what the kids are saying nowadays? I'm no longer a kid, and you're definitely no longer a kid. Definitely so. no longer a kid. Um, <laughs> my six-year-old reminds me that every day. Like She shows me how to play Minecraft. Like I don't even know what I'm doing half the time. Um, today, this is cool, Michael. Like uh, One, Chris Leonard, he'll be back with us on the next one for sure. Um, I wanted him to be here because Chad's been, I don't know, we've been buddies for a while. Like uh, he's came into the venue I worked when I was in Springfield with touring bands. Um, he, I actually got to do a tour with him as an opening band. I was with this band called Hotwire that was opening for, holy cow, who were they opening for, Chad? Was that, uh, um, uh, I know who it was, top of my head. You're going to probably beat me to it. Um, holy cow, it was so irrelevant. No, it wasn't. Not <laughs> non point, it was oh, a yeah. non point tour, yeah. So, about 2002 ish, give or take, yeah, right around there. We were doing just like a little club tour, and I remember there was some uh, is that the one that you guys jumped off on, or we only did like five shows or six shows? I forgot what it was. It wasn't a oh. lot, if I remember right. It was. It was only a few. But yeah, uh, your roster, Chimera, Spinecheck, Powerman 5000, POD. Um, I've seen you several times with Deftones. Um, you probably worked with them during every Heyday album that I ever loved. Uh, <laughs> no, I didn't do. I, I didn't start with Deftones, really. I did a fill-in during the, uh, what was that, 2000, uh, 2007 or six. Uh Thing, and then I came back for real in 2010 and stayed with them until 2013. So the two albums I really did were Diamond Eyes and Koino Yokin. I know. I definitely saw you on the Koino Yokin Chaos. tour. Yeah, yeah and, and Taste of Chaos. Tour, yeah. Um, dude, you've done a bunch. Thin Lizzy, Alice in Chains, Anthrax, and of course now back and forth with Fall Out Boy getting ready to start it back up again. Yeah, your old alma mater. Yeah, man. Uh, those kids were really good to me. It's cool. I remember when you got the gig, I called you that day yep. and I was like, I couldn't ask for anybody better. Like, like it matters. Like it, like, yeah, we, you know, we, we never really have much say in any of this anyway. I know. Oh, you did it, dude. No, <laughs> no one really had me say. <laughs> and, and my girl, Demi Lovato, I'm a big Demi fan. So that yeah. was pretty, yeah. So that's, we're going to have to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I did a South American tour with her and then filled in for uh, Chris a couple times in North America. 
So you you basically have been wearing multiple hats your entire career, like whether it's tour managing, production managing, and front of house, or just one of the above. Like you become kind of a pro at that thing. That's kind of like one of your your selling points as Chad is, hey, I can do multiple things really well, and here's my list of things. Um, so we had we had an email not too long ago from one of our listeners asking about promo- uh, production manager duties and tour manager duties, and especially having you on doing the multiple hat of actually mixing a show. Just kind of give us a feel of what, I mean, how you got into that thing, um, if it's always been a part of mixing front of house or, or someone asked you to do it and you didn't want to, uh, just tell us about it. Sure. So, so yeah, I mean, for me, it didn't start out as a thing. When I started uh, with Orange 9mm, I was hired just as the front of house engineer. And uh, I'll be honest, I was quite happy with that. It was fun. It was easy. You know, I mean, I think anybody can attest to, you know, if you have uh, a non-managerial role, role on tour, it's generally... You know, not always, but it's generally less stressful. Um, and we had a tour manager uh, who I don't remember his name off the top of my head, but he was just a friend of the band. He had never tour managed before. And I don't believe he's been in the music business since. But he uh, he was not very good. Uh, and I came from the club side of not only running sounding clubs, but also managing a few clubs. So the band figured, hey, you've manage clubs before so you know what the you know you know what the clubs do to try and screw us over you know you, maybe you can watch out for us and try and catch some of these things and i was like you know i mean how hard could it be <laughs> there's your <laughs> famous last words <laughs> exactly so so that's how i got kind of you know uh, kind of partially roped into it plus you know i mean i didn't mind the bump and pay <laughs> that you know that that never sucks no and uh it turns out that i'm I'm definitely nowhere near the best tour manager. Uh, I, I get by as a tour manager. Uh, I I wouldn't it, put it this way. I wouldn't recommend me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, if, if you need to get the job done, it, it will get done. I won't screw it up. But I'm not going to be the guy that you know your artist most likely goes. Oh my God, we need to have him back as only our tour manager. <laughs> I've, I've I've done that too, and it's only been in that renegade position where the band couldn't afford both positions, so I kind of had to do both. I don't think I did horrible at any of them, but I was never as good of tour manager for the band as I was their engineer. Yeah, and that's my thing. Like, I mean, I I, I don't dislike tour managing; uh, it, it's all right. But uh, so recently, I just went out and just tour managed, which is the first time in my career I'd ever done that. Uh, I went out and just tour managed Jason Bonham, and it was it was actually okay. You know, I mean, like as in for me, it was okay. I'm, for him, he seemed to like it because he wants me to come back and do other stuff. But uh, but for for me, it was it was kind of fun. It was I was shocked. I thought I was gonna want to you know slip my wrists after you know a, a week, but turns out he's a great guy, and uh, and it was it was moderately pain free. <laughs> a, a person, a, a person in your position, though you've seen it done so many times, good and bad. So you're kind of the culmination of all those folks you've worked with in the past. So you got to be good. You know what I mean? Because you're you're making decisions dependent on what you've had to deal with in the past, and you've probably worked some really wicked tour managers and some really bad ones. I've I've had some amazing tour managers that I've worked with for sure. My my Fallout Boy tour manager is by far one of my favorites. Uh, I had a great one when I worked for Serge Tonkian. Um, I've actually had several really good ones and I, and I, and I've had a couple that, uh, that 
you know, actually, I've never had any tour managers, I don't think, that I would th- say are bad at their jobs. Uh, I- I've had one or two that it was just kind of a little oil and water, you know, just didn't kind of gel um, for, for, you know, between me and them. Uh, whether that's purely on my side or if they feel the same way, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not totally sure. But uh, at least for my side, it was, uh, you know, it just didn't gel and wasn't a comfortable fit. What about production, man? So you do PM more than yeah. anything, and you you went from like doing small stuff into doing massive truck tours. So like you've probably got this down to a science now. We, we were talking about your um, company, creative company that you're going with now. It's like you've got this down to a science. You kind of know how things are supposed to work. When did you start kind of figuring that out, that PM and was the, the jam for you? Uh, it, I mean, I'll be honest. PMing is only partially front of house is really my is really my love. PMing I do like. I like it a lot, and I like when I can do both. Uh, and and I've been fortunate that I've done a lot of tours with you know the Opies and Charlie Hernandez's of the yeah you know, and Ian Kindersley's of the world. Um, you know, I've done a, a I'm a graduate of four or five Ozfests. So yeah, it's uh, <clears throat> you watch these guys, uh, you know, especially Opie and and, and Charlie. And those guys go to work and how they work every day. And you can't help but learn a few things here and there. Uh, yeah, I, I wish I could say that, you know, that one of them had taken me under their wing and said, hey, this is exactly what you do. But I was always with, uh, you know, one of the smaller artists. So until, I mean, until Ausfest 2005, I would be willing to bet nobody there knew who I was. And, and to be honest, nor should have they. I was, you know, I was with bands that weren't rating uh, high enough up on the day to, for people to really pay attention to me. Yeah. Right. It's a huge undertaking, man. So most of your time is filled with emails and writers and requirements and dealing with both sides of things pretty much. So I'm sure the time behind the desk is your solace, man. That's the way I used to see it too, is if I had to TM or PM anything, it was like, come on, man, just get me to set time so I can go just stand in front of my desk and not think about getting ice to the bus for a minute. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, those, I mean that, you know, anywhere between depending on the, you know, the tour, anywhere between an hour and three hours a night is the, is the absolute joy of my day. You know, that's, that's where I have fun. That's where I get to be creative, at least to some degree, uh, you know, depending on the artist, some, you know, some of them allowed more freedom than others. Some, some want it kind of just by the book, you know, want it to sound as close to the record as you can make it. Others, others just want it to be loud or, you know, whatever. <clears throat> um, but yeah, th- th- you know, those, th- th- those two to three hours are, are kind of the, the real fun part of my day. It's never load in. <laughs> no, but I mean, I, I will say, uh, you know, and I have to give credit to my team because there's no way I could do this at this level without my stage manager and production assistant. There's, there's not a shot that any of this would go right. I, I would have been fired for sure. How many trucks on the last tour that you did? Uh, we were 13. 13. Okay. That's pretty standard then for that size. Cause I remember when people were trying to up it up to like 25 trucks, insane amount of staging and things coming in that weren't necessarily like, but 13 seems like a fairly moderate amount now. Yeah, it worked out. It worked out well. Like I said, my stage manager is is amazing. He, uh, he will not let me anywhere near the trucks. If I'm near the trucks, he starts yelling at me to go away because he's afraid I'm going to mess it up on him. Uh, and, and my production coordinator keeps me sane and, uh, you know, keeps the, the office running smooth when I, you know, even when I have garbage to deal with on the floor. 
And and you've had a, the same system tech for a long time, right? Do you take the same system tech mostly? Uh, I've actually had a couple, um, but yeah, I try I try to whenever I can. Um, I've been fortunate that I've had uh, I've had like three, I think now. Yeah, I think I'm on my third guy, and, and third guy only because what ends up happening a lot of times, uh, my the, the guy I had first for quite a while uh, now is running part of the shop at the company, so. Uh, so he's unavailable. And then the guy that I got from him is now mixing monitors for, for, for a major artist. So, you know, obviously he'd rather be the mix engineer than the SE. Um, and then the guy I had last time, I, I'll, I'll probably have back on our next headlining tour, assuming he's available. Well, it's good to see them all moving up, but it sucks when they go away. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I get it. I'm I like, uh, so Dave Coyle, uh, who I believe, you know, Oh yeah, um, he he was my tech for holy cow six years. Yeah, five years. So he, he was my SE as well, and and now he's in the shop full time. You know, and good for him. He gets to be home with his family, and that's that's awesome. He's got two young boys, so it's good. It, yeah, it's good that I, he gets to do that. I saw him lift a kid with one arm, like my small wonder, off of his snake when he was pulling up from front of house one night. You know how she like lifts up the sofa and vacuums underneath it like straight arm. <laughs> Dave Coyle used to do push-ups at front of house while he was telling me about what the room sounded like for the day. It was yeah, like Dave, Dave's amazing. Dude, that guy was incredible. Holy cow. And and he came up, I think he was a a, a monitor engineer before he came over to the system tech world. And he was actually our monitor engineer with Fallout Boy for um from under the court tree. Yeah. First yep. door. And uh then he moved over to the system tech, dude. And it was like same same thing that you said about your stage manager. If I'd come in before a certain time after we got comfortable with each other, he'd yell at me for being in the venue. Yeah. Like he'd be like, Get out of here. I'm not ready for you yet. Like uh <laughs> it, it's cool how those guys work because they really do own it for you. And and that's a huge part of your day. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, uh, there's no way I, I mean Handling both hats is it, it, like to me is okay. Like on a smaller tour, say say three or four trucks or less, uh, is, is is not too hard. Without you know, you can have a, a team that's not as solid and still get by. But once you get up, you know, into that seven, eight, nine, ten truck range, without a solid team, you you know, there's I I don't think there's a way you can really do both jobs. I mean, both jobs are hard enough as it is, but it's really hard to do if, you know, if you have to cover somebody else's job as well. So Chad, I, I want to ask you, you know, there's a couple of venues around here that, that I work at regularly as a freelancer. And one of them, it's like, okay, you have to park the bus. You have to drive the wrong way down a one way street. So your door opens toward the venue. And then, and another one, you can only get one truck at the dock at a time. And another one, you, you know, so there's all these, you know, I, I'm thinking about trying to coordinate that times 30 venues over the course of, you know, a month and a half on tour. I mean, how do you juggle all those details and how do you get far enough ahead where you don't get caught, you know, unaware of something, you know, that could be a snag like that? I, I mean, I'll, I'll fully admit I have definitely missed things in the advance and forgotten things and whatnot. But, uh, you know, obviously you try not to let that happen. But for me, the biggest thing is uh, email um, and master tour. Uh, between those two things, uh, that's kind of my Bible. I, I, my, a lot of people like a lot of people back in the day, including myself, would do their advance ninety nine percent on the phone. Maybe there'd be an email. You okay. know, um, now for me, it's totally the opposite. I do my advance probably ninety percent via email with just one or maybe two calls 
uh, you know, a few days out from the show <clears throat> just to make sure we're on the same page. Um, I've just been burned too many times by uh, someone saying, oh, well, that's not what we agreed to. We said this on the phone. Yeah. And, and you know, whether, whether it be malicious or they just forgot, either way, it, it makes for a rough day. And Master Tour, keeping track of places that you've been before, it keeps your information every time. You could add something new to that venue's information every time, and it's it probably cuts down on a ton of work. I remember that when advancing shows was, I'd sit there and think, oh, man, I think I've been at this venue. Yeah. and But having the tool like Master Tour to have that stuff kind of backed up for you probably is pretty cool as well. Yeah, it's great. I mean, back, you know, before Master Tour uh, and, you know, I mean, to, to a degree, right at the start of kind of computers on the touring side, when I first started in the you know late 90s, early 2000s, you know, computers weren't, not everybody had one out here. You know, I remember the first tour I was on, <laughs> I was the first guy with a computer, you know, in, in 99, 2000, like the tour manager for the headliner still had just pen and paper, you know, notebooks. Um, so yeah, it's, it, 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 for me, I've always had a database of sorts. Um, I used to keep an Excel sheet that I would just have the, the venue name, the, you know, the city, the venue, and just a couple little notes. So I could try and remind myself what kind of either great place or hellhole I happened to be walking into that day. Yeah. You know, I wish I, when my, I toured for about two years when I was 19 to 20 and I wish I kept better notes because, you know, we went to so many places and it's been so long now and uh, everyone's like, oh, did you ever play at the so-and-so? And I'm just like, man, I don't know. <laughs> so, so it, you know, it's just kind of sad on a personal note to me that I didn't I didn't keep records of where I went and, you know, with the work I was doing because I, I often wish that I, I had that information. So, I mean, it's kind of, you know, it's it's a different world now with the, the tools. I mean, special specialty built software for tour managers is, you know, we're kind of a new age with this thing. Yeah, it's great. And, and one thing, so if you were toured with a, uh, with a nationally known artist, go to setlist.fm and yeah. you, you may be able to figure out your routing. Cause I've done that a few times, gone back and gone, where the hell did I play? I know. I was a little <laughs> fan. And you just go back and you go, Oh Christ, that, that was the tour. Okay. Yeah. It's weird. So would you ever like, if there was an artist that came back and did, did like a reunion thing that used to do on your roster, would you get back in and do a van tour for fun and games? Or are you like, Oh, I, my back can't take that anymore. <laughs> you know, I, uh, yes, I would, but it would have to be like, it would depend on the artist. You know, like there, there are a couple artists that I wouldn't work for if they gave me my own private jet. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, so, so it kind of goes both ways, and yet there are there are other artists that I you know that I would just short of pay them to work for them because they were so good to work with. You know, I always thought doing the underplays were really cool, you know. Yeah, uh, and uh, I remember when Green Day was doing it for a while, and everyone was like, "Oh man, we should start doing underplays," and we got to do a few of the Fall Out Boy ones, and and those were like the most memorable shows. Like we did one with Every Time I Die in Buffalo, and it was a logistical production manager nightmare because yeah. there was nowhere to put consoles like we had to bring in a bunch of stuff but it was so fun at the end of the day holy cow yeah well we did um so i don't know if you heard about the show we did in september where it was green day fallout boy and weezer all played the same night uh half hour ish hour sets at the whiskey oh yeah uh i saw one of your text posts about it and yeah. that that had to be incredible it was, it, man, it was, again, like you said, it, logistically, it was a little, a little hard. Um, 
the Green Day production manager handled most of the logistics of it because it was you know they were closing the show. Um, uh, but it was it, man, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. That had to be a blast, man. Three Just, you know, three arena acts playing the whiskey at the same time. Yep. And oh, but the consoles are on the floor now, right? They're not upstairs. No, no, no it's up the balcony. Oh, Mansky Polanski. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and, and the thing we agreed to is every band agreed to use nothing but house consoles. You guys rule. So, so awesome. we, we all went on, the, I think, I believe it's an M, uh, it's the M32, I think, not the X32. I'm pretty sure it's the M32. Yep. Um, and we all, all created a, you know, under 32 channel show file for the M32 and went in and, you know, limited sound check. You know, I think, I think, uh, the Fall Boys guys came in and I think they did two songs, maybe three songs for soundcheck, you know, made sure their ears were good, you know, made sure that I wasn't going to die a horrible death and, uh, <laughs> and moved along. It kind of like, it's sort of like a back to, back to basics, back to roots approach. You know what I mean? There's a couple times a year when I'll go mix my buddy's band in, in the little tiny bar down the street where, yeah. you know, I mean, it, like where they're telling me a Midas Pro 1 is too big. I'm like, it's two foot square. Like, so, you know, those are the kind of, the kind of venues that like, oh man, it's terrible. But like at the same time, I'm, you know, it really kind of, it keeps you really sharp in it and it forces you to really pay attention to stuff that you can kind of get a little bit sloppy with on nicer rigs and bigger rooms. Oh, I totally agree. I, I mean, I think that's why a lot of dudes that came up, uh, come up through the, through the, I'll call it the terrible club circuit, you know, all the, the worst of the that's worst. Diplom- that's more diplomatic than my term. <laughs> hey, that's what you're talking about me. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I'm also talking about me. Um, yeah, true. Yeah, you, you get to, you get to, you know, you get to work on such a wide variety of rigs and, and consoles and everything else that yeah. you know, I think you become a, a more well-rounded engineer and you, you know, maybe you don't know as well as some of the, uh, the quote unquote schooled guys, you know, exactly what compressor setting you should start with for this particular instrument or voice. <clears throat> but, but you do learn to control, you know, a 105 dB snare drum in a 30 square foot room, you know? Yeah. And that, I mean, that's sort of the, you know, the kind of the be all end all battle of small venue live sound is, is that if you haven't dealt with that, that is a uniquely frustrating situation the first time that you just go like, Oh, okay, this is what the show is going to be like. (laughs) This is, this is my reality for today. And, you know, there was something, there's something about being in the van reading, you know, the manual to the console you're about to drive (laughs) time. You know what I mean? It's just sort of uh, as stressful as that is. I mean, I, I really look fondly upon that time because it forced me to stretch out. It forced me to learn all the different consoles. It forced me to learn how to wrestle a, a really terrible PA into submission and, and get something useful out of it. I mean, there's a lot of lessons that, that came along with that that I don't think I would have learned if I went right to playing with really nice stuff right out of the gate. Yeah, I agree. There's, I mean, I know so many engineers now uh, that are, I'll call them younger only because they're younger than me. They're not, you know, it's not like they're, you know, teenagers, <clears throat> but they came up, you know, and some of them, their first tour was a, a bus tour doing arenas. And, right. you know, I mean, good for them, you know, that, that they didn't have to, deal with, you know, five or six or seven other sweaty guys in a, you know, in a, you know, crappy van staying, you know, nine to a room at a motel six, you know, but at the same time they come out and, you know, some of them, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of apparent that they haven't worked with a lot of different things. And, uh, and sometimes I think it hurts them more than helps them that, you know, that they didn't have to suffer. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that. I, we used to we used to draw straws for who had to sleep on the in the sleeping bag on the floor of the Motel Six and who got to be in one of the beds, you know. And yep. so it was, but but like you know, when you go in and you go, oh my god, I can't get a single clean wireless frequency, and you know, four of the twenty four snake channels are dead, and the entire left side of the PA is blown out. I mean, and you got twenty minutes, ready go. Yeah, those okay. are those are so valuable in terms of learning the tools of your trade and learning how to solve problems. And you know, it's again, let me give let me give my artist the best the best product I can given these constraints. And yeah. no one's expecting it to be perfect, but man, I mean, I learned so much from that. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I always expect it to be perfect. I know it never will be, but I always, <laughs> you know, I, I always want it to be. And sure. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure both of you guys can, can probably, you know, probably can't count the number of times you've had to rewire a house PA or point oh, yeah. out, you know, point yeah. out that, hey man, did you know you have four blown subs? You know. Yeah. <laughs> you, just, you just be the one hating that you found it, you know. Dang. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, there, there's a venue that no longer exists in Texas, and I, I swear to God, three times I went in there, and three times I had to rewire the PA. You know, it yep. was, it, it was yeah, all out of phase. I'm like, who who fixes this? I probably no was one. in that you same did. one. Was it San Antonio? No, it was uh, just outside of Dallas. Okay, I think I, I was in Georgia one time. I want to say somewhere in Atlanta. And I remember telling the band, the band said, all right, we're going to go eat. And I was sitting on the stage with a soldering iron trying to fix the wedges. And I said, bring me a hamburger if you get a chance. Like that was, you know, that's, 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 that's what it takes to make this show happen. That's what I'm going to do. But I, (laughs) sometimes I'm like, okay, I just plugged my wedges in and they worked and that's good. Let's just go with that. You know, I don't have to take Gorilla audio 101. (laughs) Gorilla audio. So yeah, that happened to, so that's the one thing I do remember about the non-point tour with Chad is we were having problems in a, in an Atlanta video uh, venue and he got super mad at the house dude because the house dude was not being helpful whatsoever. And Chad was just like, just be helpful. And, and and he left and went to the bus and I was like, the house dude, I was like, Hey man, let's just fix it before he gets in here. I want him to kill you. <laughs> I, 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 I will freely admit I, I had a really, really bad temper for a long time. And uh, there, there are several house guys that I've had to apologize to over the years for, uh, for, for for going off. I mean, in my opinion, they're still somewhat warranted, but I maybe might have taken it a little too far a couple times. No, no, you were warranted on this one because you were like trying to explain to the guy how nice you were trying to be about trying to fix it. And he was just being a dick. But uh yeah, like it's it's hard when you have to go into the venue and fix stuff, but you're right. It does make you different once you get to a certain level. Like you think about things a different way. Yeah, I mean, you learn. You kind of you're kind of forced into learning game structure a little better because if you don't, yep. you're you're really screwed. You know, in some of these small venues. Oh yep. yeah, I mean that, that's a great. I mean, I remember I remember being in a club that didn't have uh, EQ on the wedges, and I literally went to the merch bin and I got a T-shirt and I taped it over the horn. And I made a low pass filter, <laughs> and, oh, and it, but it, but it worked. You know what I mean? So it was sort of like you know you that kind of does good stuff to your brain if you've got to solve those kind of problems. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of us that don't have to solve those problems now, we, we you know, I think we do lose a, a bit, and that's why I, I really truly enjoy going back. I mean, I would I love going out and doing a ten month van tour? No, no. <laughs> I mean, I might, but you know, there, there are definitely artists that I feel like I could, you know, I, I could be happy with doing that. You know, I'm, I'm sure my mortgage would suffer, but. <laughs> 
<clears throat> yeah, but uh, for, on the fun side of it, I think it'd be fun. Like, I, I mean, I went out and did, it wasn't a van tour; it was a bus and trailer. But I went out and did quicksand, uh, what, four years, uh, six years ago, I guess it was now. And man, that tour was a blast. Oh, cow. was Tom Capone still playing guitar with him then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the original. Yeah, Tom uh, was the uh, yeah, yeah. That, it was good because we were basically on a break from Deftones and Sergio, you know, playing for both bands. Uh, Sergio's like, hey man, we're going to do this. I mean, it wasn't a long run. It was like a two and a half or three week run. And, uh, when quicksand, I quicksand's one of my all time faves, man, hands down. Like those guys it, live, uh, it was give or take if, if they were good, but if the inner G was there for them, like what a great sounding band that was, they were crazy. Yeah. They were a lot of fun to mix, man. I, I had a blast with them. They were, uh, you know, like I said, it was only a few week tour. It wasn't, it wasn't a really long tour. Uh, but man, it was, you know, do, you know, you do noon load-ins or one o'clock load-ins and you're wrapped up and back in the trailer before midnight. You know, I was like, geez, these are, I'm, I'm working half days. <laughs> you know, it's so funny to me because, you know, I do a lot of freelance stuff around the area. And so I'll get called to do like, you know, monitors or front of house for a support act or something like that. And, and so I kind of get to observe how the touring crew is running things. And, and it's, you know, when you're in the same venue twice and one time, you know, there's nowhere for the stuff to go backstage because no one, no one realized that booking six metal bands into a theater <laughs> with no wings was a bad idea. And, you know, they didn't know there was no power. And then the next tour comes along and everything's perfect. And I get paperwork when I show up and the guy is just completely, you know, Zen master. It's really interesting. Um, even, even on the, the local kind of freelance hired gun side of things, how differently the day goes and just, you know, your stress level, um, as somebody trying to work on the show in whatever little tiny role you're, you're playing in that. It, it's amazing, you know, that kind of top-down attitude with the tour manager and with the production manager, you know, kind of how they set the tone for that. Uh, yeah, I agree, but I'll, I'll take it a step further. That actually really, to me, is driven by the artist. Um, mm. I, I've definitely, my, my attitude is definitely different depending on who I'm working for and what their, um, kind of what their attitude is towards, uh, towards things. Uh, I've, I've worked for some artists where they're kind of, uh, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, they're kind of assholes and it kind of just trickles down the, the whole way. You know, they treat, they treat their upper staff like garbage. So it, it just, you know, as much as you don't want that to happen, it just, I think it just does, you know, and I, right. I've been very fortunate that at this point in my career, I, I can't really just pick and choose gigs, but I can turn some down and leave gigs that I'm not happy with if I'm, you know, Mm-hmm. And I'm not too stressed that I'm not going to find work. I'll, you know, it may be a, it may be a little bit, but you know, something will pop back up. Yeah, so, so it's definitely one of those things where I, I think that attitude thing, at least in my experience, a lot of it is driven from from the artist side more so than even you know the, the PM or TM. Yeah, I mean that's an interesting observation, and and so it's sort of you know you know as the local guy on deck, you're often looking through the keyhole, and you know, hey, I hope someone gives me an input plot before <laughs> before uh, the show starts. <laughs> like, actually, that's kind of where you're at. Um, so it's you know it's really interesting to see that, and then you know then you've got I mean just things melting down, and you've got I mean my my thing is I'm the only one backstage because because it's five minutes before downbeat, and you know all the headlining people are off 
doing whatever they're doing. And then the fire marshal will show up and be like, Hey, you, you got all this stuff's got to move. I'm like, man, come on. <laughs> I don't even know who to ask about that. So it's, it's, it's very, um, you know, it, and so, so what I've learned from that is like, I don't like the way that feels. And I don't, I don't like the frustration and the helplessness that I feel when I'm, you know, trying to solve problems that are way, way, way bigger than I can solve. And so when I'm running a production management for, for a show, I, I, I try to let that inform how am I going to handle this? And, and have I clearly posted, you know, the tour sheets around with the schedule yeah. and is my, is my contact information on those. So if something happens to a local guy who has no idea what's happening, he can call me and we can work it out. I mean, you know, how are we handling those things that have frustrated me in the past? Yeah. I, information I think is key. Uh, I went to work for an artist last year and the entire crew uh, had been complaining. They'd been without a production manager for a little while and the entire crew had been complaining that they hadn't been getting uh, the information that they kind of felt they needed from the, from the tour manager. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so when I went in there and started, I mean, I didn't, I certainly didn't do anything groundbreaking. You know, I gave them, uh, you know, the, the, the same info that I would give any artist that I worked for. And uh, the, the, the crew was like, Oh my God, I can't believe we're getting all this information. I'm like, what you mean? You didn't get any of this information before. Cause this is crazy. Like this is like loaded time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's it's I mean that's the thing about that that I found is you know what I, there are some people that I just found are very like protective of their like hoarding stage plots and and technical documents and stuff like that and I just don't right. see how that's productive because you know I've had situations where being on the receiving end of that it's like well I can't really do my job very well if, if you don't give me this stuff and so I've also had situations where I go, Hey guys, here's, you know, even the deckhands, Hey, here's all the, here's all the information. And then I go to deal with something and I come back and they're like, Oh, okay, well we, we patched the split and, and we ran your snake out the front. Like they were able to jump in and get stuff done that needed to be done while I was dealing with things because they had the information. So I think in a way being more open with that stuff can actually bring the stress level down quite a bit in terms of, you know, being in a management role. Yeah. I mean, it, like, yeah, like I said, information is key, man. If, if if people have information, they can do their jobs, right? And it's less anxiety when you walk in. Like I noticed that when you were talking, it's like it, if if the crew's informed on both sides, then less anxiety when you walk into it. Then you just look out for trouble spots. You know, you don't have that anxiety all day. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I the thing that's hard to control, I think, on our side, the touring side, is is what information gets out on the local side. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've sent the proper rider and I turn up and it's not the proper rider. I'm like, I, I literally just sent this a week ago. How, how do you not have the right one? Yeah. But, but their boss used whatever information he got from either the agent or an old contractor or, or God only knows where they find half the information. And, you know, and, and the poor, poor schlub who's actually got to do the show ends up with like, you know, nine year old information. Like, you know, basically they've got Kyle's name on my fallout boy rider. Yeah. How does that even happen? (laughs) Exactly. You know, I mean, our, our, I mean, what was it? Three years, two years between the time you did your last fallout boy show and I did a fallout boy show. Yep. (laughs) But it's certainly not unheard of to see that kind of craziness happen where you're like, wow, that, that input list is literally five years old. How did you even get that? Yeah. And you should you should tell about like since you are PM for those dudes, storage of gear and how much bands like store that gear from tour after tour after tour and like 
an artist will be like, Hey, I want that one guitar with the thing on it with the, like, <laughs> how do you keep track of all that stuff? Um, yeah. So, so with, with most of my artists, uh, Fall Out Boy included, when I'm in that position of being here for a while or being in charge of that, I, uh, I do a, a essentially it's just a manifest or a spreadsheet, uh, of, of what we have. It's all numbered. You know, we'll spend like with Deftones, uh, my guitar tech and I spent, I think five days in their Sacramento storage space, uh, going through everything, putting numbers on everything, cataloging serial numbers. Um, you know, where, where in the storage place it was last seen because God only knows who's going to go in there and move something, but at least the last place we knew it was, <clears throat> uh, with fallout boy, it's very similar with fallout boy. There's a number system. Each musician has his own set of numbers. You know, one's one guy's the one hundreds, one guy's the two hundreds, you know, uh, you know, common gears, like whatever the five or six hundreds, um, and myself or one of the backline guys or myself and some of the backline guys will go in there once or twice a year, uh, once a year for sure, sometimes twice a year to straighten everything up, go through everything, make sure that none of the musicians, you know, quote unquote borrowed. I mean, it's theirs, but you know, took their gear from the locker and didn't tell anybody. So now, you know, all of a sudden you look around and there's, Oh, where, where, where'd that really expensive Les Paul go? <laughs> it doesn't seem to be here anymore. And then you, you, get, you get a call like, Hey, did you come and grab one of your guitars? Yeah. And, and inevitably, yeah. I mean, I've never personally had gear go missing from a storage locker at a reputable storage place that wasn't explainable by somebody coming in, you know, grabbing their own stuff and just not letting anybody know. How many cubic feet of stuff is there? <laughs> oh God. I mean, yeah, that's, that's what I'm talking about. The amount of stuff, it must be ridiculous. It can, yeah. I mean, it can be a lot. Uh, you know, and every artist is different. I've worked for some some pretty big artists that only have like, you know, maybe a twenty by ten or twenty by twenty foot locker that's just really their backline, and they've they've done a pretty good job of getting rid of extra set pieces and extra backdrops and all the all you know all the all the other crap. And I've worked for other artists that have, you know, five or six thousand square feet of stuff. Just still, you know, <clears throat> yeah, a, 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 a set from seven tours ago that that's being stored uh, for multiple reasons. I mean, either they, they're not sure what to do with it, or they don't want to get rid of it for nostalgia's sake, or maybe there's a way we can repurpose bits and pieces of it to make something new. But uh, at the end of the day, it can cost it can cost a pretty penny every month to you know to store the stuff and. I think yeah, some uh, there are definitely a couple artists, and I, uh, there's uh, I think Incubus might have done this, where they they actually bought a building to store stuff in, yeah, and, and yeah, they they just looked at the numbers and went, you know, it, we're paying X number of dollars in storage, it makes sense just to go ahead and buy a building, and we'll just put all of our stuff in that, and then you know at least at least you have an asset on top of it. Yep, financially right. good decisions for sure. Yeah. You know, which is something that, uh, you know, sadly a lot of artists don't necessarily uh, think of. And, and sadly, sometimes their management doesn't either. What's been what's been one of the weirdest requests you've ever gotten, like from an artist to some, some bizarre thing that they wanted you to take care of? Oh, man. I know there's one. Uh, don't yeah. hold out on a shed. Oh, no. <laughs> My feeble memory is going to be the problem here. <laughs> Uh, let's see. 
man, I, you know, I don't know that I've had any like really weird, weird requests. I mean, I've had some in jest, you know, like I've had, you know, I need to know where every Starbucks is within 10 miles of the venue. But that was, <laughs> that was you know, a, a joke. Uh, well, at least do you guys do the puppies? Because Pooch told me he put a he wanted a pen full of puppies on his rider and he showed up and they and they got it for him. So we have in the past done that occasionally. Um, it's it's it, you know it's something that should go puppies or kittens should just go on the rider every right. day. Um, kind of lightens everybody's mood. Uh, on on a tour I did last summer, we actually got a petting zoo in one day. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice. Not in a. Had like a you know a Shetland pony and some goats and uh, I can't remember what else is there. Was, I mean, there wasn't a lot of animals. There was probably about seven or eight animals. Uh, they brought threw down some hay and sawdust and uh, put them off to the side. And people got to go over and pet the pet the pony and play with the goats. And it was actually it was actually pretty fun. That is awesome. <laughs> but I think that, that wasn't an artist request. I think that was actually a crew request. To be honest. Well, I was just thinking if Kyle and I ever ever go out on the road together, there's going to be all day tacos as part of the the management I, yeah, situation. I, I think uh, I think actually Kyle might have worked with. I'm almost positive he worked with uh, a production manager that had all day bacon. Yeah, all he was, day yeah. bacon. <laughs> We've already talked about that. Holy we cow, have. that was insane! You'd walk into the production office and there was a plate of bacon. I mean, and that's I don't know. That's not a bad thing. I mean, it may not be good for you, but it's delicious. You know what? I, I am known for getting the, the Taco Bell. They sell the 12-pack, the party pack. I am known for picking that up at the beginning of a long day and just keeping it on my little rack in front of house. And <laughs> you get hungry, you dig in, man. It's good stuff. So I, I would I would institutionalize that, I think. I mean, I, I don't I don't I don't oppose. I think I think I'd want something better than Taco Bell, though. I think I'd want like proper tacos. Proper street well, I mean, yeah, like we don't need to bicker about the taco brand. I'm not, I'm not picky, <laughs> but you can't, you can't beat 12 tacos for 10 bucks. That's, 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 that's hard to bite, hard to beat. But, but it's hard to be drunk at that time of morning and do your job. <laughs> <laughs> Some people do it, Chad. Some people uh, do it. <laughs> believe me, I've worked with them. I know <laughs> they're on the, tw- they're on the master tour list as well. <laughs> I want to throw out a, thing that i've run into a couple times at, at a couple of venues that i work at where i'll get the you know a couple of venues around here i'm, I'm the a1 so i'll get the, the the touring documentation from the the venue manager or whoever's handing it to me and uh i'll go okay and a lot of times these people don't like to pass along the entire rider oh, yeah. and i don't know why i don't know if they don't want people to see the the financial arrangements personally i don't really care you know i don't care about those numbers but i need to see the information and we've had a couple situations at a couple different venues where people showed up and they said, where's the rest of the back line? And I said, that's everything that was on your sheet. And there were four <laughs> more pages that I didn't get because someone decided to, you know, they, they just went, Oh, okay. Give, give, give Mike these four pages. And so, you know, one thing I've found to kind of, for, for the listeners that are on the local end of stuff that are trying to deal with that type of thing, whenever possible, I try to get directly in touch with the A1 of the tour, the front of house of the tour, like someone in my department um, and just say, Hey, I just want to, confirm that this is what I received. Is this accurate? And, and so that doesn't always work, but you know, if you can kind of cut through a lot of the layers, I know the tour managers don't always appreciate that, but it has saved the show a couple of times when uh, we would have not had the right console or something otherwise. So that's something that, that if I can arrange it, I try to just send an email out and say, Hey, uh, can you just double check that this is actually the proper requirement before we go out and rent this stuff? Yeah. And for me, when I set up my riders, uh, I, do my best to do a couple things. I try and keep all 
like information on the same page in case that does happen where they print out only one page. Um, so like my, my sound system requirements are one page. Um, and I keep them dated too. So every time I update, I, I date it. So you'll know that, you know, if you're looking at something from 2017 or 2016, you should probably do your best to, to find something new. But if you're looking at something that's only a month or two old, it's probably still wrong, but at least you're close <laughs> in the ballpark. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so for me, uh, like backline requirements, audio requirements, stagehand requirements, all that sort of thing. I try and keep on its own page in the rider and try not to let other stuff spill into it very much or, or let that spill onto another page very much if I can help it. <clears throat> just in same thing with catering, uh, just for that exact purpose. It's been so many times where you walk into a venue and the guy's like, this is the only page they gave me. And, right. and it's literally half or less of the information. So, I mean, believe me, it still comes out wrong at least, 30% of the time, even when you've done everything on your side, you can to, to fix it. Um, from the venue standpoint, I think if you're, if you're, if you're a house guy or a house audio engineer or even a house production manager, yeah, the numbers, none of the, none of the show numbers should be on the rider itself. Um, I, I, if, if there is somebody in my opinion, did something wrong, that should just be part of the deal sheet. And, you know, the, the promoter and the, you know, tour management are the only ones that really need to see that. The uh, but the rider itself should be fair game. I mean, go on a smoking gun, and yep. you can find a hundred riders from artists, and yep. you know, which, which I actually do once in a while, go on there and, and laugh about things that other people ask for. Oh man, you should see. We got this thing a couple a couple months ago, and it just said for back. I just said drum set. Perfect. Like, well, yeah, yeah. So, so, so the the TD of the venue sent he sent a message to the tour manager, and he said. Uh, you know, can you give us some information on the drum set? And I swear to you, what he received back was literally, if you go into Microsoft Word and do insert clip art of a drum set, like a cartoon-looking drum set, that was what she sent back. That's amazing. And we were like, right. So, so you know, we called the backline guy and we're like, bring all your stuff because we don't know what they're going to want. And so, you know, they they brought some nice stuff and, and the drummer was happy. But we're like, okay, just so you know, we want to show you what your rider says. <laughs> so maybe you're not aware of, of, you know, why you haven't been getting what you wanted every, every stop. But so, I mean, you do see some wacky stuff, man. Yeah. And I find, um, you, you know, from, from the touring side, you have to be very specific. Uh, you know, I mean, like to the point of like, there are colors that I'll say like, Hey man, I don't want to see that neon yellow drum kit that I know you have. Yeah. <laughs> If it shows up, it's going to be gaff taped all in black, and you're going to be sad when you have to peel off all the gaff tape. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I see, you know, uh, it just says uh, PA system, you know, 1,000 watts. Oh, God, yeah. Or, you know, I saw one that said uh, four wedges, six monitors. I'm like, ah, okay, I don't really know. <laughs> and, and, you know, that always stick. Yeah, that sucks on, on my side because, I, like, I don't – I want to have a good day. You know, I want everyone to show up and, and I want us to have a smooth relationship and I want to have the show be good. And, uh, you know, I, like you said, it all comes down to information. If I don't get the bare minimum, I, I feel I need to, to do that and to give you what you're asking for. I think that just makes it more stressful for everybody. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's funny because recently through social media, there's been a bunch of hoopla about uh, a couple, maybe a couple, I'm not sure, one for sure, uh, quote unquote roadie schools opening up. And uh, I, I, the one thing I wish they would teach them, never mind all the other crap, just learn how to put out a rider that makes sense and yeah. spell, spell things properly. Uh, you know, 
like you said, monitors and wedges. I mean, do you mean video monitors on top of the wedges? Yeah, what are we, yeah, yeah. yeah. radios. What are we? What are we talking about here? Yeah, there's too. There's too many. Uh, just it's it's uh, it's slapdash. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm sitting here talking to the backline guy, trying to decipher it like it's you know some Indiana Jones on a tomb or something. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well. There we go. I think uh, the the uh, the person who wrote in asking for some tour management stuff and production management stuff, I think they're going to get a, a good, solid helping of that with oh. this episode. So, Bunch Chad, of, thank you. Garbage that may not help them very much, but that's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for your time, man. Oh, anytime, man. It was a pleasure. Yeah. It's always cool to catch up, dude. We'll have to do it more often for sure. 